Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. Uh, what's up, Risers? If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor. We're going to continue to experience God together today over the next few moments. And uh, hey, we always want to celebrate as we get started. And I was just thinking about this. Um, pastor Josh Cunningham posted recently. He had posted that according to a Barna research study, the majority of children who, when they turn 13 and essentially get out of kids ministry into youth ministry kind of thing, uh, the majority of children have never heard the voice of God. And I thought to myself, first of all, I thought to myself, how tragic but second of all, I thought to myself, man, I am so grateful to be part of a church that, that really cares about the next generation. And while we're in here worshiping, they're over there worshiping, and they are being taught how to hear the voice of God. They are being taught. I mean, that, that's part of our nature in our church. And I'm just so grateful that even this morning or, or on a typical Sunday morning, there's probably close to 200 children of different ages in our kids' ministry across the board between the locations that are all learning to hear God's voice. And I just love that. I love that. I think that's a powerful thing. Amen? Yeah. yeah. Hearing God's voice is definitely not just an adult thing. Um, but it can be difficult because there's a lot of noise in the world. Have you noticed that? Whether we're talking about the news, whether or not we're talking about our, 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 our family members, whether we're talking about the, uh, the cat that needs to be with, the dog that needs to be taken In fact, it can be really hard to distinguish an individual voice when you hear a lot of voices coming at you at one time, can it? It can be pretty distracting. It can be pretty uh, frustrating uh, to try to hear, in our case, the voice of God in our lives. And so we have to learn how to tune into the voice of God. You know, I've always had this kind of thought, and so I looked it up recently. I thought, um, y'all forgive me, I'm not meaning to sound offensive, but, but why are there flutes and marching bands? I've thought that for years. You know, you're at like a big college game and there's like, you know, a whole flute section, you know. So, and I'm like, why are there flutes and marching bands? And so I actually looked it up and I found out that especially within proximity of the flutes, if you actually get close enough and you train your ears, even amidst the noise of a marching band, which is a lot of noise, y'all. Trumpets and trombones and tubas and these very loud instruments. Even in the midst of the noise of the band, you can actually train your ear to still hear the flute section. Listen, we have to be people that tune into the voice of God and train our ears amidst all the distractions of life to actually train our ears to recognize God's voice amidst all the clutter and noise of voices in our lives. Amen? So uh, we're going to continue to talk about that today. And, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about two sections of the Bible. (coughs) 
that uh, we nowadays refer to as the Old Testament and the New Testament. Testament just means covenant. It's just an agreement between God and man. And so you had an old agreement between God and man in the Old Testament, uh, pictured on Mount Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments. And then you have a new covenant in the New Testament uh, that comes through the blood of Jesus, not through the blood of a lamb, uh, but the blood of a physical lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Jesus. And Jesus steps in and creates this new covenant between God and man, and it goes through him, uh, which is where we get the idea that we should love because the new covenant is a covenant in love in his blood and in love and so uh, the Bible is divided that way and when you get into the New Testament the very first book that you will find is the book of Matthew it's the first biography of Jesus that's written and uh, the first one that we have uh, in that orientation and Matthew was this tax collector who gets radically saved and when I say tax collector um, uh, most of us don't picture what that really meant uh, that's the essentially, essentially like an ISIS soldier getting saved or something that is the epitome of evil right um, in that day and age and so he gets radically saved starts following Jesus and takes it upon himself to write an account of the life of Jesus or somebody dictated it as he spoke it. And so the Gospel of Matthew is written and in that Gospel of Matthew, the story of Jesus' life there, there's a lot of cool stories, a lot of neat things that we hear. But one of those is Jesus is taking a few of his disciples, kind of the inner three, he's taking them to what's called an area called Caesarea Philippi. If you ever go to Israel with us, we'll go to Caesarea Philippi. Still there to this day. Uh, a very interesting area. It was, the, it was the Las Vegas of the day, so to speak. And, and you go to Caesarea Philippi, and they would have idols to every god that you could think of. And, and there would be all kinds of sexual rituals going on. And there was actually a place right there that was called the Gates of Hell. That's how it was referred to as. Because it was believed that that was a, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a, um, a spring coming up. But it was believed that that's where the, uh, uh, you could literally, like, like spirits would come up from hell and back and forth. And so it was called the gates of hell. Sometimes they would make sacrifices and they'd throw them into the springs and if they came back up, it meant the, you know, the God or whatever it was didn't accept the sacrifice. So as all this is going on, so there's essentially all these massive uh, pantheon of gods all right there in Caesarea Philippi. And it's right there that we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 16. Verses 13 through 23. Uh, we'll read it together and I'll kind of narrate it as we go. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Right? So, what's the gossip about me? You know, there's always somebody saying something about you that you don't hear, right? So, what is everybody else saying about me? And this is key because you've got to remember where he's standing. He's standing in an area with all of these other gods, all on demonstration. So, he takes them all the way there, which was way out of the way to ask that question. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Uh, verse 15, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? That ultimately is always the question. It's not what anybody else says about God. It's what you say about him. That is the ultimate question. So what, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, he's the one that always kind of steps up. He answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is in theology circles called the great confession. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't get this knowledge just from yourself. <laughs> you didn't get it just from flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So the Father's voice has just spoken through Peter to say, you are the Messiah. So you got it that way. And I tell you that you are 
Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, just real quickly, I don't have time to unpack this totally, but he says, you are Peter or Petros. Petros meaning a small rock, like a movable rock, kind of like a, uh, uh, the kind of uh, gravel you would drive on. Small rock like that. He said, you are Petros. You are Peter. This is where he's changing his name. And he said, and upon this rock, that is the word Petra. That is meaning a huge rock, a big stone, something that does not mean, uh, something that does not move. And he says, you are a small stone, and on this big stone I will build my church. Some people get the idea that they're building the church on Peter. That comes from Catholic roots. Uh, I would argue, and most Protestants would argue that it's not you're building the church on Peter. You're building the church on Peter's confession. His confession that you are the Messiah. Now, that doesn't take away from Peter. He's still going to be instrumental in the gospel presentation and the first preacher of the gospel and different things like that. But the Petra, or I'm sorry, the Petra, meaning the big rock, is the confession that he just made that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so that is what the church is built on ultimately. And so you see this incredible moment. Like, Peter's probably feeling really good about himself. And Peter screwed up a lot, y'all. So this is like one of his moments where he got something right, feeling good about himself. So what does he do? Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter is not having any of this. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's always funny when you give somebody a little bit of authority how they respond to it. Peter's like, Jesus, you do not know what you're talking about. You should be careful who you rebuke. So Peter said, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and looked and said to Peter, the same Peter that he had just proclaimed heard the voice of God. And he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I find this, I find this passage interesting because we have all these voices talking to us, and Jesus encounters two different voices talking to him within moments of each other from the same person. From the same person, right? So, so, so Peter, first of all, is like, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and Jesus is like, that is the Father speaking to you. Moments later... He's like, hey, you got to stop all this crucifixion talk, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus is like, now the devil is speaking through you. And the powerful thing is that Jesus is able to recognize the two voices for what they are. You and I don't do a very good job of that. Especially with what Peter was saying the second time is what our flesh desires. It's an easy life. It's a comfortable life. This is why things like the prosperity gospel have such a stronghold and they take so much time to unpack and and break off of people because people want to believe it. And so Peter and the other disciples didn't want Jesus to be crucified. They still pictured Jesus as as the Messiah that's going to take over the throne of Israel and kick out all the Romans and be the conquering hero. That's how they still perceived Jesus at this time period. So this idea of him being crucified, and Jesus is talking about that, and you know, like, what is that? No, no, Jesus, you got this wrong. You and I still to this day, this will come up again next week, but still to this day, we frequently want to lend ourselves to the good words of God and not the strong words of God. We, 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 you know, it's always somebody, I guess God didn't really say that, that you should crucify the flesh. You should just mow it down a little bit. Like we would never say that, but that's what people actually do. That's what we practice, right? 
And so you see that uh, right here in the story. And I find that nowadays we oftentimes uh, kind of mix the, mix the two. In one moment you can be speaking on behalf of God, the next moment you can think you can, but it's not. Like I remember one time I heard the story of a kid that he's going with their family and they're going through the mountains of uh, the Smoky Mountains on vacation and it's at night and you know the Smoky Mountains there's all these winding roads all around the mountains and, and suddenly as they're going around these mountains at night and in the darkness a little, their, their son in the back seat speaks up and he says, Dad, God just told me that there's a rock around the next turn and you better slow down. Dad's like, all right, well, that's kind of bizarre. So he slows down, just out of, you know, he slows down, goes around. And sure enough, there's a big boulder that had fallen down right there. And if he had been going full speed, he would have hit it and would have caused a lot of pain and problems. And, and so, so he's like, wow, man, my son's really hearing from God. So they keep driving and he looks back in the back seat. He says, son, so what else is God telling you? And the little boy says, God says we should go to McDonald's. That's a great analogy of what happens so often in our lives. Because in one hand, we're hearing God. In the next hand, it gets mixed with our desires and what we want. And all of a sudden, God told me to be with this person. And God told me to buy this thing that I can't afford. Because, because it gets messed with what we want and not necessarily what God wants. So we have to differentiate between. It's like that tuner, man. You know, we've been talking about it every week in the series. But that old school radio dial that you have to tune into the right frequency, we have to tune into the frequency of the Holy Spirit, the frequency of God. And by doing that, you'll tune out of the other voices. And so um, before I give you, I'm going to give you the five voices that are speaking to you this morning. Uh, don't freak out, by the way. The first point is much longer than the other two. And so if you're like getting to the second point, you're like, holy cow, we're going to be here all day. And, and you know, my stomach's hungry for Ryan's or Golden Crow. Uh, don't, don't stress. Uh, but before we do that, watch this quick, uh, this, this very first testimony from Pastor Ken. Though it was several years ago, um, my wife and I went through a really difficult year. Uh, in, in one calendar year, we, she had three miscarriages. We lost three babies, one in January, one in June, and one in October. And it, it devastated us. It really broke our heart. And so the next year, uh, that summer, we were traveling and we stopped by a friend of ours house and the friend looked at my wife and said, are you okay? You've got a glow about you, you're pregnant. And that scared us, it, it really did, because uh, for each of these babies, we had found out that she was pregnant. We had, we had gotten our hopes up and our dreams up, and, and then we lost the baby. And so she went to the doctor when we got back home and was able to, to find out that yes, she was pregnant, they did the test. And then when she went back to the doctor at one point, uh, couldn't find the heartbeat and that's how each of the miscarriages had started so we were scared and devastated we went to church that Sunday and man I can't I can't even explain the emotions that were going through um, our heads through, through our bodies we went up for prayer and we came back and she sat down in in the seat and I stood there and was just talking to God and asking God what what was going on and we had already picked out names for whether it was a boy or a girl, we had decided the names of both of our kids. And in that moment where I was talking to the Lord, the Lord clearly spoke to me and he said, you're gonna have a son and you're gonna call him Jeremiah. And it was those exact words that the Lord spoke to me. 
Um, and this was before we knew the gender of the child. And so I'm sitting there going, uh, <laughs> okay, what do you want me to do about this, Lord? Because if, if this is wrong, and this is, this is the thought that went through my head, if this is wrong, and there's a 50% chance it could be wrong, then I'm gonna look like a fool. And it was just this peace that came over me that said, no, this is, this is God. And man, that, that's a tough moment when you've had three miscarriages and you've had these moments where your hopes were up. But, but that moment, I stood my wife up and I told her what the Lord had said. And uh, it, was a, it was a few weeks later that she actually fell and she fell into a bush. And um, she was a little bit nervous because of course we had lost three babies before and, and she went to the doctor. And uh, she, I asked her if I, if I could go with her and she said, no, no, I, everything's okay. I just, I just wanna check and make sure things are okay. You don't need to go. And the doctor looked at her and said, well, everything's fine. Would you like to know the gender of the baby? And she's like, no, 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 put it in an envelope, please. Don't tell me, don't tell me. So he put it in an envelope and she brought it home. And sure enough, um, we opened it up and it was a boy. And uh, his name is Jeremiah and he's 19 years old now. And man, I want you to know that you can hear God's voice uh, no matter what you're going through, even in some of the most difficult times, you can hear His voice because that's how I heard the voice of God. I love that testimony. So we have to be able to differentiate between the voices speaking to you. Now I'm going to give five. There's probably more than that or at least different uh, dialects of it that will come in uh, to your life. But let me give you five this morning. But before we do that, Jeremiah, since you're in the video, run up here and be my, uh, be my helper up here. <clears throat> you're just showing off. I used to do that. <clears throat> now I take the stairs. All right, so uh, Jeremiah, you're going to be our pilgrim. You represent us in our Christian faith, and there's different voices speaking to you. The very first voice that will speak to you is the voice of the enemy. Voice of the enemy. Will you run up here real fast? The voice of the enemy. The voice of the enemy. Now, these are in no particular order. It's just the order that I put them in. But uh, throw this on, enemy. The voice of the enemy is unique uh, because it's comes from outside of you where some of the other voices are going to come from inside of you. The voice of the enemy are things that are unnatural or illogical if you were to ask somebody outside of you, but yet you find yourself wanting it or desiring it even though it's unnatural and even though you wouldn't normally want it. And you know that because it's coming from this dark place, this, this, this evil place. And so you can be a person that has anxiety or something like that and you have a, a bad day and the enemy will always be fishing for you, right? So, 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 so come over here, enemy, will you? And so the enemy will always be fishing. So the enemy is always, always, always casting, always casting, always casting. Now, now this is key because you don't have to take the bait. Look at your neighbor and say, don't take the bait. But the enemy's always casting. He's always trying to get you to take the bait. And oftentimes it's connected to your flesh that we'll talk about in a minute. But, but he's always, the enemy's always casting. And so, so you're trying to go through life and you have a bad day. Life got hard. Difficulties coming at you. And before you know it as it casts, you start to grab a hold of the line that the enemy is giving you. Like this is a very basic way of trying to under teach you or show you, demonstrate to you that, 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 that you cannot partner with the voice of the devil or the enemy or demons. We give the devil way too much credit. There's one devil. There's lots of demons. You have to be careful that you don't partner with the voice of the enemy. 
You can partner with a lot of voices in life. And you recognize when you partner with a voice, when you come into agreement with a voice, all of a sudden it has consequences, good or bad, for the future. At one point, I looked at my wife and I said, I love you. And she looked back at me and she said, I love you too. That was a long time ago. Some of you like, last week? No, long time ago. <laughs> and that created a partnership because we came in agreement of the things we, we said that led us to where we are today. But there's also negative things that somebody has said over you or done to you that you come in partnership with. So that third grade teacher said, you're a bad reader. 30 years later, you still feel like I'm a bad reader every time you open up a book. Not because you're a bad reader, because you came in partnership with what this external voice is saying to you, right? Now, your third grade teacher is not the enemy or the devil, but you get the image. And so the devil's always fishing for you. He's always throwing out lines, and we sometimes buy into them. So you have a bad day, and you find yourself going from a bad day to a really bad day, to now life just sucks, now life just stinks, now it's just the worst ever. And what happens is now you get hooked and, and, and here's a big one that we all face today. So you're having a bad day. Life just stinks. And before you know it, you've gone into depression. And before you know it, now you're having suicidal thoughts. Suicidal thoughts are rampant across America today. And it is 100% a tactic of the enemy, of the devil himself, trying to destroy a generation. And I am glad for medication and things like that. I'm not anti-medication, but make no mistake, your enemy will not be solved by a medication. It will be solved through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not anti-medication. But you got to know who you're fighting and what weapons you fight with. And so before you know it, now you are hooked because you had a bad day. Now you took it a little further. And before you know it, yeah, my life does stink. And I am sick of life. I am frustrated with life. And all of a sudden, this thought that is irrational to most people seems rational to you in the moment, even though in the moment you may recognize this isn't really rational. This isn't natural for me to feel this way, but I'm feeling it. That's when you know the enemy is talking to you because it's not from you. It's from an outside source. But it can feel compelling. Make no mistake. But it's an outside source speaking into you. But it's not something you might normally say or do. And it comes across all kinds of ways. The enemy's always trying to lasso you. He's always trying to stop you. He's always fishing for you. Right? And so one of the ways it plays out a lot is that you will oftentimes, uh, you'll come into a setting like this, an environment like this, and I'll preach something like, you are anointed and God has called you. And you'll leave this room going, yes, I'm going to start this ministry. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to witness to this person. And you'll walk out of, out of here thinking that way. And before you know it, come Tuesday, you start, you start reaching for the ministry that God's called you. And the enemy starts pulling it back. And you start to reach for it, and the enemy says, no, 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 you ain't good enough. You start to reach for it, oh, you're not educated enough. You start to reach for it, oh, maybe next year it'll be the time. And the voice that starts speaking to you is not the Holy Spirit. And you think, you think oh, I'm not equipped to do what God has called me to do because I'm not as good as Pastor Ken. I can't preach like Pastor Tina. I can't lead like, and you start thinking this way. And you'll know it's the enemy because as soon as you reach for it, it pulls you right back. Anybody know that voice? It's all, he, he comes around. It's up to us to actually release ourselves from the hook. And then you can reach for it. And then you can go where God's calling you. But as long as you are in alignment and partnership with the voice of the enemy, you can't get what God has for you. Does that make sense? 
And we do this all the time in big ways and small things. The enemy's always fishing. And he will use the things that he knows that you are susceptible to to catch you. You know, James would say you have a tailor-made lust. You have your own lust. It's just for you. It's not for the person next to you. It's just tailor-made just for you. Like you got your own lure. <laughs> and the enemy's always fishing. And so you, you walk in on a, on a Sunday morning like this, and, and, and you look around, and Andrew Burtis is over there in the, in the side of Main Street, and he's by himself because y'all just don't know Andrew has gas. And he's making that gas face, and he's like, I'm just, ooh, trying to get And you walk in, and McKee walks in, and she's just like, she's just like why is he making that face at me? I knew he didn't like me. I, I used to like him. I don't know why he's making that face at me. And what's happening? The enemy's fishing. He's fishing. And the enemy's saying, oh, they don't like you here. They don't like, they don't, they don't like what's going on. They, they, don't, they don't care anything about you. And it's up to you. Do you come into agreement with what the enemy is saying or not? Meanwhile, you might be so off track, you don't have a clue that Andrew just has gas. I'm sorry, Andrew. <laughs> and he's just making that face because he's got, you know, you, know I, you don't have a clue that's what it really is. You don't have a clue that the person that you think is upset with you just got in a fight with their spouse. And so they're really upset with their spouse, but it's coming across as maybe upset at you. And so, but the enemy will use whatever is in you to hook you. Anybody know that enemy's voice? And all of a sudden you're like, man, Otto used to like me. I don't know why Otto doesn't like me anymore. And I don't, I don't think I like him anymore either. I don't know how to even go to this church. The enemy will use whatever he can to catch you. And it's an outside voice that's irrational. And if you talk to somebody outside of you, they usually recognize it's irrational immediately. Come on, man. Really? That's like what I say to people. So that's, why, that's why I don't do counseling very well. I'm like, come on, man. Really? It's, it's like with all the anxiety in the world today and everybody's stressed out with anxiety and then depression and the suicidal thoughts and you're like, bro, you live in a first world country. You have an air-conditioned car, an air-conditioned house. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm saying it's irrational. Are y'all with me? I'm not saying depression's not real. I'm just saying if you put our, our, our difficulties in the grand scheme of things, come on, really? Really? So I, that's, why, that's why they don't let me do counseling around here. But the enemy will keep throwing the bait. The enemy will keep throwing the bait. And see if you'll catch it. Will you catch it? And if he can catch you, here's the key. It's not that the enemy always kills you immediately. If that were the case, if that were the case, we wouldn't have such a struggle with sin. It's, it's, that, it's that the enemy will catch you and then it just keeps you from what God has for you. Which is so commonplace in the American church that we think that's normal Christianity. I'm going too deep right there. I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. So I better stop. <laughs> so so we got we, we to be, be cautious of this. Um, the other thing, if you want to know the enemy's voice, first of all, it'll come from outside of you. It's not something that's normal for you. It's outside of you. So it'll come from outside of you. Second of all, it's frequently accompanied by fear. Fear is the way that the enemy motivates. That is another thing that's going on across America like crazy is this spirit of fear about all kinds of things. That's what makes the news successful. If they can scare you about something, don't believe me, just watch the next hurricane when it comes through. As a true Floridian who has lived here all my life, has 100 years of Simpsons in Hillsborough County, 200 is in the state of Florida, you will survive the hurricane. But if you watch the news, it's over. It's, it's done. I mean, you might as well, I mean, you just, you might as well go move to Arkansas or something because it's just done. Florida's, it's going to be all waterlogged. It's going to be, 
you watch, all of a sudden fear will keep you attracted to something. And so news oftentimes leads through fear. The enemy leads through fear. And so he will make you scared of things. And as long as you are scared of things, you won't reach for new things. I'm too fearful to reach for what God has for me. So you start to reach, he pulls back. Start to reach. So God, I, I, I can't believe this. And he starts to pull you back every single time. Again, you cannot fight the enemy's tactics with natural solutions. There's other things that have natural solutions, but the enemy's tactics are spiritual. So I remember uh, one time years ago, many years ago, something happened to one of my children that bothered me even more than Ada. It bothered me to my core. Like scared me, caused me fear. And all, all I'm thinking is there's going to be some kind of uh, uh, psychological problem with my child when they grow up because of what they just experienced. And I'm so upset and I'm so frustrated and, and all of this is going on inside of me. And there was literally a fear associated with it. So what did I do? I went into their bedroom, several nights actually, went into the bedroom, got down on my knees beside their bed as they are sleeping and cried out to God and said, this will not be the case and every fear that I have will not come to pass. All these lies of the enemy will be vanquished because of the truth of the faith of Jesus Christ that I am the shield of this house, I am the protector of this house by God-given authority and this will not be allowed. This spirit will not be allowed in this house. And a couple nights of that, it was gone. It was gone. Listen, you beat fear with faith. Are you with me? <laughs> and so, so when the enemy starts throwing those fearful thoughts at you, you beat it with faith. Second uh, uh, Timothy would tell us, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of what? So if you sense fear, it is not from God. Irrational fear. I'm not talking about rational. I'm not talking about if you see a snake. I'm talking about rational fear. <laughs> If you have an irrational fear, it is not from God. He hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. My God, how would American church look different is when everybody else is running around in fear with everything happening, but you have power and love and a sound mind. Okay, let's keep going. All right, the second voice, the voice of the flesh. Who's that? Come up, run up real fast. Voice of the flesh. The flesh is very different than the voice of the enemy, although they are similar and they will play off of each other sometimes. Throw that on, will you? Because the voice of the enemy comes from outside of you, the voice of the flesh comes from inside of you. And the voice of the flesh is usually associated with things that are good desires done in wrong ways. Godly things done in ungodly ways. And so the voice of the flesh is actually attached to you. Because it's in you. It's part of you. It's your desires. It's, it's desires gone wrong. It's the sin nature within you. And so Paul would say, he would give description to the voice of the flesh or what it sounds like in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Listen to this next part, verse 19. For the acts of the flesh are obvious. This is what's concerning right now in America. What Paul says is obvious is no longer obvious as acts of the flesh in America. It's become so normalized that there's nothing wrong with the very things that Paul used to say was obviously wrong. 
So Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the voice of the enemy often sounds like what I don't really want, but in this moment I'm tied to it for some reason, like depression. But the voice of the flesh is what I do want. That can be a lot harder to deal with. <laughs> the voice of the flesh takes a natural, yeah, I'll scoot up a little bit, takes a, a natural uh, uh, thing that God has put inside of you and tries to use it for unnatural ways. So, so the big one mentioned several times in Galatians 5 that I just read, the big one is, is sexual things. Right? So, so let me just be clear. Sex is a good thing inside of marriage. Amen. I'm glad like five of you. Sex is a good thing inside of marriage. That's the funny part because a bunch of couples just looked at each other right now. Like, are you clapping? Because I'm clapping if you clap, but I ain't clapping you. I said this in first service and Ada didn't say anything. And I'm like, you're making me feel really bad. Right? Like, anyway. Sex is a beautiful thing, God-ordained thing, inside of the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. It is biblical, it is also scientific, and it works for good. But as soon as you leave the design of the sexual relationship, it has destructive patterns. Don't believe me, just look at the history of America from the 60s and the sexual revolution on and look at where we are now. That you end up with a, a, a fatherless generation and now the fatherless generation because the father is the primary person where you get your identity. Now we have identity issues rising up like crazy and brokenness rising up like crazy. It all goes back to a sexual revolution that said I can have sex with anybody I want anytime I want. I know this is not popular, but this is real. Listen, if you live together or what have you, and you're here this morning, we love you. We're glad you're here. But I do want you to know God has a better plan for you than that. <laughs> I know it's the, the American model that you live together before you get married, like in the last 15 years. It also has dire consequences. You can do the research for yourself, but if you live together prior to marriage, you are more likely to end up in divorce. Yep. I think it was a two months ago or something, I shared those statistics. But, but, but here's the thing, it's the flesh, and so it's what I want. I want sex, but I want to do it my way. Listen, the right thing in the wrong place is, is the wrong thing. Yeah. A fire in the fireplace is amazing, it can warm the house. A fire in your car <laughs> is always a bad thing. So it's gotta be in the right thing. It's gotta be in the right place place. And you see this with all kinds of areas uh, in our life that, that we want to do this. And what is so bothersome to me is what Paul just said is obvious. Outside of this room, I know lots of amens right now, but outside of this room, it's not nearly as obvious that, hey, this is wrong. It should be obvious, but we've become so seared in our conscience that we don't even sense it anymore. We'll talk about that in a moment, but and so it's not even obvious. And so we make these statements like, uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know that's not true, right? That, 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 that STD comes home with you. <clears throat> that memory comes home with you. That broken thing that you connected to while you were there comes home with you. That's, that emotional scar. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's not true at all. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Because what happens in Vegas comes home with you and ends up hurting your family. Right. So, but, but, the, but the flesh will desire these things. And it's what I desire. And so what do we do with the flesh? We crucify the flesh. 
You are either going to live out of the spirit, that's what Paul was saying, out of the spirit or out of the flesh. There is no, there is no middle ground. We love to be middle ground in America. We, we love to, to pretend to crucify the flesh by weed eating it down just so it's not so obvious. We, we put fingernail polish on the flesh and try to make it look prettier. Instead of what Paul teaches and what Jesus was demonstrating, that you crucify, you crucify, you crucify the flesh. How often? Daily. Because that joker keeps rising from the dead every day. Every moment sometimes, <laughs> right? So you crucify the flesh. And you got to be so careful because what will happen is the enemy will also use your flesh against you. These are, these are different because he's not just attacking you because that came from an outside source that's not natural for you. But this is natural. And so the enemy will actually catch your flesh because your flesh can be will or your faith is willing but your flesh is weak. Your flesh can have these weak moments that will cause you to stumble in certain areas. And the enemy will use the flesh. And it's not the enemy doing it. He's just using the enemy. He's just using the flesh. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. Let's give you, the, give you the third one. The voice of reasoning. The voice of reasoning. All right. This is where we start to shift in what we're saying a little bit. Because you never, ever, 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 ever want to partner with the voice of the enemy or voice of the flesh. Throw that off. You never, ever, somebody say never. never. Never, ever, ever do you partner with the voice of the enemy or the voice of the flesh. Those will end up with bad consequences. Yep. Now we're flipping it. Because you also have a voice of reasoning inside of you. And reasoning is a good thing. I'm thankful for reasoning, right? Um, uh, many of the greatest philosophers of all time have been Christian philosophers. God did not teach you to check your brains at the door when you become a Christian. That's right. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in August. We do another apologetics ser series. But, but your reasoning is a beautiful, awesome thing. You need to be able to reason. You're going to go to lunch today and reason what you can afford to pay for at lunch. Right? You're gonna, if you're not going to lunch, you're going home, you're going to reason what you should put on your plate and decide to eat. The problem with some of us is we're still reasoning like teenagers when we have the, the belly of a... Anyway. <clears throat> So we're going to reason things out. Reasoning is a good thing unless it unreasons God's will. So sometimes, this is not the norm, this is not like common, it's not always the case by any means, but there will be moments that God's voice to you sounds unreasonable. There have been moments where God told Aid and I to give money that was completely unreasonable for our budget. And I could reason myself out of God's will. Because I'm pretty good at being, a, you know, I'm a very reasonable person. That's one of my kind of giftings, you know, wisdom and stuff. And, and I'm pretty good. I can, I can reason myself out of God's will. Because sometimes God's will is unreasonable. Now, that's not the norm. You're not going to stay in that all the time. But there are moments that God will call you to do things that seem unreasonable. Yeah. The other side of this is, is your reason will reason you right out of biblical standards. I just shared one, all right? So how about this one? Because I've, I've never heard anybody say this specifically, but I've tiptoed all around it to me before. They're like, Pastor, you know, the cost of living in Florida is really high. Really high. Anybody notice that? Yeah. Really high. You can buy a playground set for like $400,000 in subdivision. <clears throat> it's really high, Pastor. So it just makes sense. It's reasonable that me and my girlfriend live together and split the bills before we get married. It's reasonable. And if we do that, we should be able to afford to tithe afterwards. 
Yeah, yeah. The voice of your reason can be good. It can also be very destructive. <laughs> right? It's, it's reasonable that, that, again, the sexual stuff, but it's reasonable that we have sex before marriage to test drive the car before you buy it. Anybody ever heard that analogy? It's reasonable to, to, to act on these different ways. But sometimes your reason will reason you right out of the Word of God. It's reasonable that I should cheat on the test so that I can pass the class so that I can get credentials with the Assemblies of God and become a minister. Think on that. But yet your reason will have you do unreasonable things when it comes to the standards of God sometimes. There are moments where you also have to say, my reason is subject to the Spirit of God in me. And not the other way around. But in general, you want to use your reasoning for God. But don't mistake, because that reasoning, man, we, we've all had it happen. We've all had it happen. I want to buy that car. God, I know you told me to buy that car. Can you afford it? No. <laughs> you will re- rationalize things and reason things, things out that are not God's will for you sometimes, because it's what we want. All right, thank you. All right, next, um, the voice of your conscience. The voice of your conscience voice of your conscience. So this is an interesting one. This also comes from within inside of you. The conscience is essentially what tells you right or wrong. Uh, um, C.S. Lewis would famously talk about it. it's what you ought to do. There's something inside of every human being that whether it disagrees on what ought is, it still tells you what you ought to do. That comes from the conscience. Uh, it's one of the ways we are made in the image of God, and God can speak to you through your conscience, but your conscience is not necessarily God's voice. And so they, they can be similar, but, but they are different. And so you have a conscience inside of you. And somebody said, well, should I listen to my conscience when it's speaking to me? Well, that just depends. Because the Bible describes four types of conscience. First, you can have a good conscience. Right? That's a good thing. It's good to have a good conscience. Uh, you can have a conscience that's right before God. But secondly, you can have a weak conscience. A weak conscience is a conscience that, that will never stand up for anything. It's kind of wishy-washy and back and forth. And you change based on who you're around. And you're just kind of, you, you have nothing you stand for. It's not a, not a strong conscience. And so you'll change what you ought to do based on who you're around. Thirdly, you can have a seared conscience. A seared conscience. It's like, it's like, it's like burning a steak. My God, that's a sin, by the way. You know who you are. Well done, and then some. That's just that's, don't, don't don't let that cow die in vain. Anyway, so, so you can you can sear your conscience the same way. Searing your conscience usually comes from over and over and over God speaking to you, and you just ignoring it. Speaking, ignore it. And so now when God speaks, you can't even hear it. You're deaf. A seared conscience. It's so burnt. It's so, um, uh, there's nothing alive in it any longer. And so you can have a seared conscience. Uh, The last one, though, you can have an evil conscience. Now, most of us, if you're in this room, you probably don't have an evil conscience because if you did, you'd probably be in jail right now. But the evil conscience is now bent towards doing evil, right? Some of the great dictators and, and, and some of those types of people over the history of the world have an evil conscience. They can no longer even separate good and evil. Now everything is just only evil. And so the question then becomes, do you listen to the voice of your conscience? Well, that totally depends on your conscience. Do you have a good conscience? So, so we live in this world nowadays that says things like this, just, just follow your heart, which is really your conscience, right? So just follow your heart. But what if you're Hitler? Should you follow your heart? 
Probably not. <laughs> and so this idea that comes from this humanistic mindset of our modern American society is that you are inherently good, but the Bible is very clear, you are not inherently good. And so inherently you are actually evil, and if you follow your heart long enough, you'll probably follow it right off a cliff. Doing some dumb things. Some of you are, uh, some of you have huge mistakes over the years of buying things, marrying people, doing things that was following your heart. <laughs> Two years into it, you went, oh, my heart was not so good. Okay. And so, um, you know, this idea of, of, of just, you know, do your truth. That's the, okay. So you can follow your heart to the level that your heart is good. Here's the thing about that. You're probably not the best judge to know if your heart is good or not. Because we always look at ourselves with a skewed view of ourselves and see ourselves better than we really are. And so we got to be very careful with the voice of uh, our conscience. You can go stand on the right side of him over here. All right, um, Pastor Ken, since you're actually the father of Jeremiah here, um, and you shared such a great testimony, you've come up. The, the, fifth, the fifth one, and this probably should have been earlier, there's no order to this, it's just the way I wrote it down, but is the voice of the father. Somebody would say a good statement right now. They would ask the question, well, isn't that the voice of the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, but even in, I think it's John 16, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's John 16, 13. Jesus actually says that the Holy Spirit only speaks what he hears the Father saying. So when you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, you're ultimately hearing the voice of the Father. Which, by the way, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but in two weeks we have Pentecost Sunday and we'll probably bring this up. That is incredibly impactful because that means when you are speaking in tongues, you are speaking the voice of the Father. That is a powerful thing. So, so the Father is a, is a whole, whole other thing. So, so the Father will, will, will make sure that you are walking uprightly by convicting you of sin. The flesh. <laughs> Separating you. If you allow His voice to do it. Because sometimes we live in an America that's been so skewed and so, so muddied with, with different ideas that, that we don't recognize that what we're doing is even sin until the Father reveals it to us. The Father's voice will always be comforting to you. Even when He's convicting us of sin, it will still be comforting to us in that conviction. The Father's voice is incredibly powerful because He's comforting. In fact, I, I might hurt somebody's feelings or a few people, I don't know, but I, I don't care. Um, <clears throat> but I, occasionally somebody comes to me and they'll say something like this. They'll say, Pastor, God spoke to me and He said, you stupid idiot, stop doing that. Just for the record. God has never called you a stupid idiot. Has never happened. You might hear God's voice through a broken filter of your parents and grandparents and family members that through a filter that's broken and make it sound like that to you, but God did not call you a stupid idiot. In fact, can I take it a step far, farther and say there is a prophetic nature to God's voice that if he did call you a stupid idiot, suddenly you would be a stupid idiot. He cannot call you something without you becoming that thing he called you. So you better watch what you think God is speaking to you sometimes. God is comforting. He is building you up. He is not calling you names. Your mama, your daddy might have called your names, but God is not calling you names. And so we want to learn to listen to the voice of the Father. He is a comforter. He is the one that, that is there with you. I've shared this before in here, but I'll never forget the moment that I'm walking around on a prayer retreat and, and the Holy Spirit begins dealing with me and I stopped right there and I said, God, what do you want to say to me? And he said three words. He said, I'm proud of you. Four words. <laughs> I'm proud of you. That's the kind of things the Father will speak to you. And the very fact that he's proud of me will cause me to step out of sin and out of bondages. And that's what the comfort of the Lord does. 
He is a good, good father. Doubly good. Come on. He is a good, good father, and his word to you is blessing and picking you up. And so you will recognize the father's voice because, just like the enemy's comes from a fear, the father's voice comes from comfort. He comes to build up. He strengthens you. But here's the key. Here's the thing. The father's voice is generally much quieter than the other voices. You know those other voices like that. Like you could... We could have testimony time for the next three years about those other voices and how many times you've heard them. But the Father's voice, you got to lean into. It's not as loud as the other voices. We'll mention that again next week as well. All right, before we go on to the the last portion of this message, and and again, that was the majority of it, but we'll wrap up in just a minute. Uh, Watch this video. I'm not even going to try to say her last name because I said it wrong last time, but watch this video from Megan as these guys go down. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So one of the most powerful times that I heard the voice of God actually came in a season when I was questioning the voice of God. I had a lot of questions about, you know, did God even want to speak to me? Or did I even have the capacity to hear his voice? Um, Would I be a good steward of his voice if he spoke? So I had all these questions and it was a Sunday morning. I was in the back of service and it was just getting started when I saw a woman walk in with her family and sit in the back row. And I hadn't seen her before, didn't think much of it, began to worship. About a minute into worship, I heard a specific phrase in my head that sounded like it was from God to a person. And it was very encouraging. It was all about how this person had been waiting for a long time and then God was responding to them. But I questioned if it was God. You know, what is this? I don't even know what this means. I'm an encouraging person. This is probably just something I've made up in my head. So I tried to go back to worship, but that voice kept playing on repeat again and again. And it was so distracting that I couldn't worship anymore. And I finally asked the question that we probably all ask, which is, God, do you want me to say this to this person? Um, But I was nervous about it, to be honest. I've had um, people speak to me claiming something was from God, and it really destroyed my faith, so I was nervous. But the Lord encouraged me to take a leap of faith. Instead of asking, do you want me to say this? He told me to take a step of faith, and I said, okay. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to start walking towards this person after the song ends. And if this has anything to do with me, and this is not from you, then I want you to put someone in our path so that I can't get to her. Well, he didn't. And so I get to her, I introduce myself, tell her I think I heard from God, ask her if it's okay to share it. She says, yes. I share the word. I have no context of what this means. And she just begins to cry. And I thought, oh no, I have messed this up. So in our church, we have a phrase that says, pain or problems equals prayer. I didn't know if she was in pain, but I was having a problem. So I said, can we pray? She said, yes. So I just prayed. And what was interesting was as I was walking over, I had heard the word central nervous system. And I was like, what is central nervous system? What does that even mean, right? And I didn't have time to think about it, but I just prayed in that moment that God would make this word come to life in her. The service wrapped up, we parted ways, and I didn't really think much more about it. I feel like God did something there, but I didn't know what it was. I just thanked him for letting me be a part of it. So a couple weeks later, I was at church and one of our pastors came up to me and said, hey, do you remember that word of healing that you gave to that woman? 
And I didn't know what he was talking about because I didn't make the connection that the word was about healing. And um, I hadn't told anybody about that experience. And I said, he said, the woman with the central nervous system issue. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, that woman actually has had um, an issue with her nervous system for about eight years. And since the moment that she got her diagnosis, she sought the Lord and was so faithful. And now she's experienced healing and she is doing things that she couldn't do before. So isn't that awesome? And I, my mind was blown because I'm like, what? Like I wasn't even believing for healing. I wasn't even having faith for healing. And so I was so excited for her and so thankful for what God did. And as I processed that, because I was just in awe for a long time, I was like, God, this woman has been so faithful for all these years. And I'm sure she's had way more anointed, qualified people pray for her. Why now? And why me? Like I'm nobody. And God spoke to me and said, I wanted you to know that you can hear my voice. And I wanted you to know that I can hear yours. And that was this like pivotal moment for me that changed everything in my relationship with God. And since then, I've had so much more boldness and confidence to step out um, because I thought about what would have happened if I didn't give her that word. Would she have received healing? Was, was her healing, you know, based on my obedience? So now I have this revelation that hearing God is just as much hearing as it is obeying. And it brings so much joy to know that we can hear the voice of God and we can be used by Him to bring glory to his name and help and healing to others so I like to say that there were two miracles that day one in her body and then one in my heart so that's how I heard the voice of God amen isn't that awesome so point number two we must tune uh, must tune out of the other voices that are going on so too frequently those voices are loud, so we naturally tune into those voices. We hear them all the time, so we tune in, meaning we partner with those voices. And anytime you partner with those voices and they're ungodly, it ends in destruction, it ends in a bad place. So how do we tune out of the voice? By tuning into God's voice. This is the problem that many times we face in America, is that we spend so much time focusing on what we're not going to do, that's called religion, that we don't focus on the one who actually saves us. Right. We, we spend so much time, if you've got the tuning dial, listening to the other stations going, I'm not going to listen to this, not going to listen, instead of finding the one station that you are going to listen to. If you want to hear God's voice, don't spend your whole life shaming the other voices, just tune in to God's voice. Tuning into his voice will automatically tune you out of the other voices. Does that make sense? So how do you do that practically? How do we tune into God's voice? Let me give you a couple of really quick practical things and then we're going to wrap up. Number one, whenever you feel the presence of God, stop and acknowledge him. If you've noticed even the testimonies that I've shared uh, myself during this series, one of the things you've heard me say repeatedly is I was in my truck and I had to pull my truck over because God started speaking to me. Or I was, I was walking around this area and suddenly God started speaking to me. In my life, it's not always predictable when God's going to speak. So when I sense his presence, I need to stop and recognize that he's there. If an important person, back in the day I used to say the president, but nowadays we say that and, and you never know nowadays. Somebody who loves the president, somebody hates him, and I start a whole church fight. But uh, we've ruined it across America because we don't honor leaders. But anyway, but if a person of importance stepped into the room, you would instantly acknowledge their presence. Right? right? How come when the Holy Spirit steps into the room, sometimes we just keep going like it didn't happen? 
We need to become so in tune with his presence that we recognize and we're sensitive to it. It's almost like a smell. Anybody have like a, a smell that was maybe a grandfather or, or you know, a mom or whatever that they always wore the same cologne or perfume and, and you can smell that smell and you knew they were around. You know what I'm talking about? It's almost like that with the presence of God. There's something about it that you can sense the presence of God in a moment and like God's here. I don't know what this is. God's here. I've had moments over the years in the most inopportune times that I've had to learn how to stop and sit down in God's presence and say, God, you're here, so speak. And what happens when you do that? You start to become what we refer to as God conscious, God conscious. See, when you remain aware of the presence of God, you will become more aware of God speaking to you. So now that I'm aware of his presence, now I become more aware of his speaking. So I go around with my antennas up, aware that God is speaking to me and listening to God's voice as he speaks to me. And so I want to become uh, recognizing it. You know, there's some voices that are distinctive that you hear, right? Uh, Snoop Dogg has a, has a distinctive voice. Willie Nelson has a distinctive voice. Somebody like, that's too, uh, they're, they're both high together right now. So uh, <laughs> distinctive voices though, right? <laughs> Sorry, it just came out distinctive voices and there's certain people that you hear them and you just immediately recognize their voice hey let me tell you about me um uh, uh, so most people don't know this but i'm a huge fan of ray charles uh, even though he's before my generation i'm not that old um, but i'm a huge fan of ray charles i love i love ray and uh, have listened to his music for a long time and i've listened to his music for so long that i've become accustomed to his voice so now i can be walking through the mall and the elevator music playing or something and i'll, I'll be like whoa that's Ray. Nobody else is even paying attention. They didn't even realize music is playing. But because I'm so familiar with his voice, all of a sudden I recognize it wherever I am. You can become so familiar with the voice of God that you can recognize him everywhere you go. But you've got to work on it. It doesn't just happen. You've got to work on it. You spend time in his presence, becoming God conscious, and then spend time listening to his voice. It's a powerful thing. You know, the other one that we've always done this with is our parents. It's a funny thing that you can be in a crowded room and you can still hear your mother's voice. You can still hear your father's voice. Some of you would say that your mother or father has passed on and you still hear their voice. It's a funny, it's a very distinctive just for you. What if your heavenly father's voice is the same way? So, so we are going to go through life and we need to be able to get around the potholes, the traps of the enemy, the strongholds, just life's things well. And if we're going to need to do that, we need to hear God's voice because he's the one who is leading us through. So um, uh, Jeremiah, would you uh, run out? Pastor Kieran will take you out. Um, before you go out, let me tell you what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to get back in here. You're going to be blindfolded, and I want you to find your way to the middle of this stage. Okay? So do your best. No pressure. <laughs> Let's let him get out for a second. Hurry up, man. You're so eager to jump on the stage, and now you're... All right, for everybody else in here, let me tell you, you get to be part of this closing illustration. I need all of you to be part of it. When he comes back in, I know you came to church and you're all nice and sweet and you wore your nice clothes and you pretty makeup, but, but this is your moment to not be nice for a minute. 
and I want you to yell at him. I don't mean talk, I mean yell at him. I want you to yell at him every single area, every single wrong way to go. Whatever happens, now don't touch him. Don't touch him. People were trying to touch him last time, uh, the person. Uh, don't touch him, but just yell at him. So do whatever you can to keep him from getting up here, right? Because that's what happens in life. You're gonna have all these voices telling you different things, distracting. And I just want you to watch what happens. Sound good? All right, can we bring... Trust me, I said, I said, so just whisper. You don't have to raise your voice. 
just, just, just be loud enough that he can hear you and watch what happens. I said, don't touch him. Don't steer him. Don't, don't manhandle him. Just, just be loud enough that he can hear you. And if you notice, when everybody else is shouting, the father was just whispering. But she's so into it. He's heard that voice all 19 years of his life. He's heard that voice since he was in his mother's womb. How familiar are you with the voice of your father? He wants to lead you into good things. He wants to lead you into righteousness. He wants to give you overflowing life. Life abundant. How familiar are you with his voice? Because we know all those other voices really well. But far too often we're not familiar enough with the voice that matters. Would you bow your heads with me around the room? There's some of you here. The Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now. And you may not be familiar with the Father's voice, but he's speaking to you right now. He wants a relationship with you. This is not about religion. Jesus would say, my sheep know my voice. You're hearing his voice and he's calling you into a relationship with him. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myarisechurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time. Thank you.